If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. And I'm Jennifer Shep, budget appropriations reporter. And we are now five weeks and counting until the government runs out of money. So we wanted to focus this week on where we are in the long delayed appropriations process, whether there's any hope of a deal coming soon. The current stopgap funding expires on February 18. That's their deadline for action. Jen, are they making any progress at all? It actually seems like they are making progress, David. We've been sort of sitting around for months as it really seemed the appropriations process and negotiating total discretionary spending levels for the current fiscal year was on the back burner. But within really the last week, it sounds like congressional leaders and the top Republicans and Democrats on the Appropriations Committee have entered negotiations about trying to get some type of omnibus appropriations package through Congress and to President Biden's desk before that current February 18th deadline. I think one of the most important points to me this week is that it seems like Republicans and Democrats have stopped criticizing each other to reporters in the hallways of the Capitol. You know, there's been a little bit of back and forth in hearings on the House side, but really when appropriators start to get quiet and make very general comments about negotiations, to me, that indicates that they have a green light for moving forward and they are going to attempt to get something done. Yeah, that, that's how I read it, too. And the, the, the top four appropriators, uh, the, the leaders of both House and Senate Appropriations Committees, did sit down this week and actually talked with each other in a room. That's unusual. I don't think it happened since last November. So that is a sign of progress. And the fact that they didn't say much about it does suggest to me that maybe they have something in the works because when they're mad, they like to yell at each other and, and let us know about it. But when they're working on something, they do tend to keep it quiet. So where are we, Jim? Because this has been a months long saga since President Biden put out his budget request last May, I think it was. This is for the fiscal year that began last October. That's how far behind we already are. And we're talking about roughly one and a half trillion dollars worth of discretionary spending for the year for all federal agencies. But still this months long drama over how to divvy up the pie between defense and non-defense spending. That seems to be the biggest sticking point. Do you think they're getting closer on that. I'm not entirely sure if they're getting closer on that right now. And so if we put aside for just a second, the negotiations about actual spending levels, there's a bit of a disagreement between Republicans and Democrats and just exactly what order they're going to negotiate various elements of this. And so Democrats are saying what they want to do is they want to get an agreement on how much of discretionary spending the federal government 
is going to put out to various departments and agencies during fiscal year 2022, which we're already well into. And then they want to move on to sort of determining what policy language exists or does not exist throughout the dozen appropriations bills. House Chair Rosa DeLauro, a Connecticut Democrat, has told reporters repeatedly that this, as long as she's been an appropriator, you know, about three decades now, this is how things are done. You set numbers and then you conference the appropriations bills between the House and the Senate. Republicans, mostly led by Senate Appropriations Ranking Member Richard Shelby, an Alabama Republican, have said, we want an agreement out front from Democrats that they will restore legacy or longstanding policy language to these bills and then remove new policy language that Democrats put in in the original batch of House bills and or the original batch of Senate bills that Republicans broadly do not agree with. And this is really getting to sort of the heart of one policy provision that has changed this year. And that's Various longstanding, you know, sometimes just sentences throughout some of these appropriations measures that bar the federal government from spending federal money on abortion access with limited exceptions. And this has become a really big issue for Democrats, particularly progressive Democrats, uh, in the last year or two in terms of gaining much more traction than it has before. And so this is sometimes referred to as the Hyde Amendment in the Labor HHS and Education Spending Bill. But there are different so-called amendments throughout other appropriations bills. Um, the Commerce Justice Science Bill is one, uh, and there's some in some other legislation as well, you know, the foreign policy bill that prevents this. And so that is one of the big disagreements right now is just sort of the order of events. And so then once they sort of agree on that, then they can get down to negotiations in a more serious way. Yeah, I think you're right to highlight that, Jen, because Republicans, this this abortion battle really has overshadowed everything. And that's why there's this push for an agreement first on policy measures before they even get to spending levels. Republicans were really upset when Democrats made a move this year for the first time in decades to lift this so-called Hyde Amendment that has prohibited federal funding for abortion. And when Democrats made a move to do that, Republicans really rebelled and said, we've got to settle this thing first before we go anywhere. And that's where the big clash is. And it comes at a time when the Supreme Court is about to take up these two major state cases over state restrictions on abortion. It's front and center as an issue now. And the House, the House Democrats and their bills made a pitch, of course, to lift the Hyde Amendment. And Republicans say, no way, that's been what's keeping the peace in the abortion wars for so many decades here in Congress. And until they settle that, I think they do have a big problem, as you point out. Yes. And then to sort of get into the numbers debate, whether or not this comes in before, during, or after those conversations about order of events, the two parties are a bit apart right now on just how much to spend during the current fiscal year. The Biden administration proposed about $1.5 trillion in discretionary spending. And of course, that overall number doesn't tell the whole story. Really, the big debate right now is when you take that $1.5 trillion number and you break it down into two broad categories known as defense and non-defense discretionary spending. Um, the Biden request proposed increasing non-defense accounts by about 16% over current levels and then proposed 
proposed increasing defense accounts by a little bit under 2%. And Republicans really rejected that. And so House Democrats in their original batch of bills more or less went along with those numbers. But in the Senate, we saw Senate Democrats do something a little bit different which was they proposed increasing uh, non-defense accounts, predominantly domestic and foreign aid accounts, by about 13%. And then they would have boosted defense accounts by 5%. And Democrats are really saying that that 5% increase for defense discretionary spending in the current fiscal year has broad bipartisan support because, of course, that is the increase authorized in the annual defense policy bill. And so we heard after that defense policy bill was conferenced out and moving through Congress from Senate Ranking Member Richard Shelby that he wants more than that 5%. But we really haven't heard or seen a solid dollar number offer from either House Republicans, Senate Republicans, or both in terms of how much they want to spend. Really, the key point we've heard from Shelby is that Republicans want parity, or equal increases between defense and non-defense accounts. And that has been the rub for months that they haven't been able to overcome. Although, as you say, Democrats came a little closer to the Republican demand for parity because they've gone basically from a less than 2% defense increase to up to maybe 5% increase for defense. So that's there's some movement there on the Democratic side but then they haven't wanted to come down much on non-defense and Republicans want to come way down on non-defense. So there's tens of billions of dollars here floating around that the two parties are divided over. And that's going to take some hard bargaining. And there's no sign yet that they've reached anything on that, right? Right. And so I think the big compare and contrast here is taking a look at that early November meeting by the so-called four corners of the Appropriations Committee, and then thinking about what was said and the length of the meeting that was held Thursday. You know, staking out that meeting in early November, it lasted about 35 minutes. Democrats and Republicans emerged and spoke with reporters in the hallway and were both really frustrated with how that meeting went. Everyone seemed at a stalemate. And Shelby, after that meeting, was rather frank in terms of talking about a full year continuing resolution. And Democrats really rejected that proposal. And we have heard uh, a little bit from Shelby since then that he and most Republicans do not want that full year CR. And so they do want to get some type of agreement here. And so this week's meeting was a lot different in terms of staking it out Leahy and a House ranking member, Kay Granger, a Republican of Texas, made somewhat optimistic comments heading into the meeting. And then when everyone left the meeting, they were relatively tight-lipped about how the meeting went. Uh, There were not any gaggles where appropriators seemed frustrated with their counterparts in either chamber or either party. Um, And really, they got very quiet. And I've been covering budget approves for nearly six years now. And That, to me, is sort of everyone getting down to business, as it were, and really starting to get into these negotiations. And so I think we're going to see that pick up in the next couple of weeks. But really, with that sort of five-week deadline until this current continuing resolution expires, uh, they are on a pretty tight timetable to reach an agreement and to then conference out those appropriations bills and hold floor votes in the House and Senate. And so I think things are going to get going pretty quickly here in the next week or two. And complicating all of that, Jen, is the pandemic, of course. 
And we have heard some talk from lawmakers now that if, if this push for an omnibus spending package gains steam, that there could be an effort to attach a still more pandemic aid to this omnibus package. And we did hear this week from Senator Ben Cardin, the Maryland Democrat who heads the Senate Small Business Committee, who said that he is pitching for a fresh round of aid for restaurants, which have been battered by the COVID-19 pandemic. You know, they, they did a restaurant relief package last year, but it only, the money dried up very quickly. It only served about a third of the applicants that applied for it. So there's a real push for more aid there. Cardin said he would either do it as a standalone bill or as part of this mega package, whatever's moving down the track, he's open to getting it done any way he can. And he said that this would go beyond just restaurants. So that opens the door to other small businesses that need pandemic relief. And we heard from the hotel industry this week, they sent a letter to lawmakers saying, hey, don't forget about us. We're the only hospitality group that hasn't gotten any federal aid from the pandemic. And it's about time we get our share was basically their message. They didn't put a figure on what they want, but obviously that could be tens of billions of dollars too. Who knows? So these are expensive propositions. Plus there's a push for, for more money for live venues like theaters and for gyms, all of which have been suffering from the pandemic. And so the big question there is, are, we, are they going to try to attach to this spending deal all of this extra pandemic money, in addition to which we could see more healthcare funding where there's a shortage of, of COVID testing? They may try to provide more money for that. And so who knows? I mean, this, this could develop into yet another mega package where they combine pandemic relief with the omnibus or not. We don't know. It could be a separate package. But that certainly adds a whole other wrinkle to getting a deal done by February 18. Right. If they do decide to tie additional COVID-19 relief with the omnibus, I think that could be a little bit challenging on the current timeline. I think the one big thing to remember here, particularly when we are talking about additional COVID-19 relief, is that appropriations packages do need broad bipartisan support in both chambers in order to get through Congress. And so if you listen to what Republicans have been saying all week on this sort of speculation that there is going to be additional COVID-19 aid, they have been a little bit skeptical. And we've heard from some Senate Republicans who are in charge of various committees that have doled out aid um, throughout previous packages that they really want to know how much is left over, uh, how much various departments and agencies have on hand, because it's unlikely that Republicans are going to go along with approving what would potentially be and likely be billions more in emergency spending, right? Spending that is not paid for, that is not offset. If various departments and agencies have, you know, hundreds of millions or potentially even billions of dollars left. I think we're going to hear from Republicans that they want to see some of that unspent money moved around um, as opposed to new emergency spending enacted. And I really think when that gets attached to or potentially attached to negotiations on an omnibus, that could be challenging. That said, we do know that omnibus appropriations packages every year attract a lot of attention because they are almost always guaranteed to become law. And so members from both parties with various policy interests or legislative goals that have not advanced through Congress 
really start sort of advocating uh, with their leadership and with their appropriations committee members to get their projects or their bills attached to an omnibus. And so that can always slow things down as well. And given everything we're seeing in Congress right now with a lot of partisan frustration between Republicans and Democrats and various Democratic initiatives, um, sort of standalone you know, the reconciliation package and voting rights, and seems like those have sort of stalled more or less. Um, and so I think given that climate, I think a lot of people are going to be looking to get things on the omnibus because it might be their last chance before the midterm elections in November. Right. And any, any new pandemic package would have to have bipartisan support. And Democrats know that. And they say they're, they're you know, they are trying to work across the aisle on that now, unlike the one last year. But it is going to be tough. And clearly, Republicans won't want quite as much money as Democrats do. So there'll have to be compromises there. And we'll wait and see whether it gets attached to this omnibus or, or comes out as a, as a separate package. A lot on their plate, only five weeks left to avoid a government shutdown and get, get the government funded in some way or else they'll face passing yet another stopgap. But CQ will be watching it all for you as usual. That does it for us today. But before we go, I just wanted to take a minute to give a big thank you to my co-host of these many months, because the fabulous Jennifer Shutt is actually leaving us and leaving the CQ Roll Call family for a big and exciting new venture. So we're really sorry to see her go. Jen, can you tell us anything about what you'll what you'll be doing. Yeah, David, so I'm not leaving DC or Capitol Hill at all. Um, I'm still going to be around and I'll definitely still be tracking government spending and budgets, um, but I will be doing it as Washington senior reporter for State's Newsroom. Um, so that is where I am headed later this month. Very exciting. That's a nonprofit uh, news site, right? Yes, it is. Great. That sounds very exciting. And we will look forward to seeing uh, your work for them. We will certainly miss you here and we'll miss you here on the CQ Budget Podcast for sure. I will have, I think, a rotating collection of co-hosts in coming weeks, all from the CQ Roll Call newsroom uh, with experts on budget and tax and other uh, policy areas. So stay tuned for that. And we hope you'll keep listening. But thank you, Jen, for being with us for so long. And thank you all for listening. And I will see you next week. 